0: If you have your Bible, open on up to 1 John, Chapter two. First John, chapter two. We'll be picking up in verse 18 in just a moment. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, just a quick review of where we've been so far. Uh, you know, we, we're a few weeks into this, you probably have heard uh, what is the, the basic summary, the main point that John is getting across? Who God is determines who we are, right? Who God is determines who we are. This is one of the primary things that John is unpacking throughout this letter. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring this idea that he says that God is light. So what does that mean about us? Well, if God is light, then we are those who should walk in the light, just as he himself is in the light. And so, you know, he's described this as confessing our sins, as one way that we step into the light, out of darkness, right? The the problem is here with me, confessing our sins. But another way that we walk in the light is by loving one another. Anyone who loves his brother or sister is in the light, Right Lives in the light. And and last week, we saw he, you know, this community of love, loving one another, is made up of old, young, and in between, of people who are here and there and, and everywhere, right? This is this diverse community of love that we are called to. So this is kind of a summary of the past couple weeks, where we've been God is light, so we should walk in the light by confessing our sins and loving one another. And if you remember, at the end of our passage last week, uh, after writing about this call to love, John gave a warning about love, and he describes this difference between loving God the Father and loving the things of the world. Uh, The final verse that we read last week said, The world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God abide forever. Loving the world will pass away, but the love of God abides forever. This was a warning that he gave, and that word of warning continues in the passage where we pick up today. You see, John's concern for the people he is writing to is multifaceted. Uh, Over and over again, he describes, hey, here's why I'm writing to you. And he gives so many different reasons, right? I mean, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says he's writing so that our joy may be complete. He's writing out of joy, and yet at the beginning of chapter 2, he says he's writing so that you may not sin. At the beginning of Uh, chapter 2. In the middle of chapter 2, there's that long list of encouragements, right? I'm writing to you because you are forgiven, because you know him who is from the beginning, because you have overcome the evil one. And today, there's another one of these I am writing to you statements. In our passage today, he says, I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. And so John, he, he writes them out of joy. He writes to them to correct them uh, in their sin. He writes to encourage them in their faith. And he also writes to warn them of deceit. And so that's what we're reading today. Let's read together 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard... That the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belongs to us. But you have been anointed. By the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and so you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word, for inviting us into your life, for calling us to abide in you and for abiding in us. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. So as I was reflecting on this passage this week, I thought about an old sitcom trope that is called the sustained misunderstanding. The sustained misunderstanding. It happens when a couple of characters or groups of characters misunderstand one another and out of this misunderstanding, hilarious chaos ensues. Right? Uh, a recent example of this is in a show from this past year called WandaVision, uh, which I loved. It's modeled after all the different kinds of sitcoms from the past 70 years. As you go through the show, each episode kind of moves to kind of model and, and copy different decades of sitcoms. But uh, this is in the very first episode, which which is shot just like one of those old 50s sitcoms. And in the first episode, Wanda and her husband, Vision, it's called WandaVision, uh, find a heart on their wall calendar for that day. And they both look at it, and neither of them have any idea what it means. They don't don't know what it's for, and neither of them are willing to admit that they don't know what it means or what it's for. And so, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's a very special day for us to celebrate something. And so they go about their day looking forward to whatever this heart might mean. As the episode continues, Wanda thinks, you know what? That heart, it must mean this is our anniversary. How could I have possibly forgotten? This is our anniversary. So she goes about planning a nice, quiet, romantic evening for the two of them. Meanwhile, Vision goes to work where he learns that his boss, Mr. Hart, and his wife are coming over for dinner that night and that they have to be ready to host them. And so when he learns this, he frantically calls up Wanda on the phone and the following conversation takes place. Take a look. Vision resident. Wanda, darling. Vision, sweetheart. Listen, about tonight. Don't worry, dear. I have everything under control. Oh, well, that is a relief. I must confess I'm really rather nervous. Nervous? Whatever for? Well, you know, darling, I still get a little tongue-tied. After all this time. There's an awful lot riding on this one, Wanda. If tonight doesn't go just so, I think this could be the end. Well, it's just one night. There's no need to get dramatic. Look, I think the best course of action is to impress the wife. And I think the best course of action is to impress the Mm. husband. wonderful. Glad to know we're both on the same page. Until tonight, then, my darling. Until tonight. All right, so there's a great example of sustained misunderstanding, right? They're having this whole conversation. They think they're on the same page. They absolutely aren't, right? And so as the, as the episode continues and builds, it goes to this final sequence when Vision revision arrives home with his boss and his boss's wife. And Wanda, meanwhile, has this nice, quiet, romantic, candlelit thing going on, and, oh, what do we do, right? And so this this whole chaos ensues. It's hilarious. And we have seen this kind of plot play out over and over again in in so many different kinds of shows. What should have been a short clarification becomes a, a whole situation, but that's why it's called sitcom, right, situational comedy. Another example of this kind of humor uh, is a brief conversation that takes place at the very beginning of The Wizard of Oz between Uncle Henry and Miss Gulch whenever she arrives to take away Toto. Uh, You can take a look at that. Gail? Howdy, Miss Gulch. I want to see you and your wife right away about Dorothy. Dorothy. Well, what has Dorothy done? What she done? I'm all but lame from the bite on my leg. Me she bit you? No, her dog. Oh, she bit her dog, eh? No. Once more, sustained misunderstanding. Oh, she bit her dog, right? You know? No. This is sustained misunderstanding. Right, and, and I'm thinking about this because I think for quite a while, the church has had a sustained misunderstanding about some of the terms we've read in this passage. So I want to begin looking through this by trying to clarify some of the terms that we read. Uh, and then hopefully we'll be able to identify what exactly it is that John is warning the people about, and the solution that he calls them into, all right? So so that's the plan, to kind of clarify some of these terms, consider what what is actually going on that he's warning them about, and, and how is he calling them to live? So first, let's clarify some of the terms, right? Look back down at verse 18. It says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, The Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. From this, we know that it is the last hour." So the first term we come across is the last hour. The last hour. Usually, when we read something like this, we think of the end of the world, right? Uh, whether that's apocalyptic end times, the return of Christ, heaven and hell, or whatever else comes to mind. Uh, When we read the last hour, we think this is predicting some kind of future day or future event. But I want you to look more closely at what John actually wrote. It says, children, it is the last hour. Again, at the end of the verse, from this we know that it is the last hour. Do you notice the verb tense? John is writing in the present tense. He says, it is the last hour, not it will be the last hour. He says, this is how we know that it is the last hour. Not this is how we know when it will be, the last hour, right? So John is not writing about some future event. Rather, he's writing about a present reality. And not just a present reality for us today, a present reality for him and his community nearly 2,000 years ago. So that's the last hour. It's something that that was presently happening for John and his community and is presently happening for us today. The other term that we come across in this verse is antichrist, right? Antichrist. And again, when we see this word, we often think of some specific evil figure who will arise at the end of the world to spread evil and corruption across the earth. Usually, people just call whatever authority figure they don't like the antichrist, right? You know, it's whether it's a political or a religious leader. If, if you don't like them, they're the antichrist. You know, oh, the end times are coming. But again, I want you to look more closely at what John has actually written. He says, "As you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists." have come. So before, I pointed out the verb tense, but here I want you to notice the noun number, right? The noun number. The first occurrence of the word in this verse is singular, but it's without an article. It's not the Antichrist, just Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but a or an Antichrist. But then the second... Uh, instance, occurrence of this word is plural. Many antichrists, right? And so John, once more, is not talking about a specific figure who will arise someday in the future, but rather many figures who have arisen in the present, in his present, right? So, So this... Is what John is describing. This is what is going on when we read the passage like Wanda and Vision. You know, John is on one end of the phone warning his readers about present trouble, while we're on the other end of the phone thinking about the end of the world. It's a sustained misunderstanding. John is not talking about the end of the world. He's not talking about some monstrous figure that will appear someday. He's writing about the times of him and his people. He is writing about deceivers. So so what is going on here? Well, to dig a little bit deeper, this term, the last hour or last days, is a way of referring to the reign of Christ. It's a way of referring to the reign of Jesus Christ. In Jewish thought, history was divided into two eras. There are the former days and the latter days. This is how things—there's there's the, the present age and the age to come. There's the age whenever sin rules and the age whenever God rules. There's the age of the kingdom of this world and the age of the kingdom of of God, And the radical thing about Jesus is that he arrives on the scene proclaiming what? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. In other words, we're in the last days. This is the final hour. This is what Jesus comes proclaiming. The last hour began with the arrival of Jesus, and it was inaugurated by his death, resurrection, and reign. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the author of Hebrews is saying, the last days are when God has spoken through Jesus, his son, and Jesus reigns on high. I do not know what's causing that sound. Um, Another example of this is in the book of Acts. Whenever God... um, Whenever the Spirit comes, Peter stands up and declares from the prophet Joel, In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And then at the end of Peter's sermon, he goes on to say, This Jesus God raised up, and of all that, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured out this that you both see and hear, right? And so the Holy Spirit is poured out in the last days as a sign that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is seated on the throne. So last days, this last hour, is the time when Jesus reigns. As the Messiah, as Christ over all. That's what the last hour is. We're living in it. Jesus reigns now. This is true. The Antichrists are those who deny all of this. They're the ones who say, Jesus doesn't reign. None of this is true. Right? John says this explicitly in verse 22. He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. You see, Antichrists are those who deny the reign and the rule of Jesus and who deceive those who are following Jesus. But it's not just anyone who denies Jesus as the Christ. Verse 19 goes on to say that they went out from us. So the Antichrists are those who once belonged to the community of Jesus. At one point knew something of this, this Jesus who is the Christ, and have since rejected it, and gone out from among the people. It's not just any non-believer. It's someone who is a deceiver of the people of God, who is a, a betrayer of the people of God. And so I, I think, what, what is it that John is warning the people of? Well, I think there's, there's really two things uh, that, that we can take to heart. The first is that Just because you're sitting in church does not mean that you are following Christ. Just because you're sitting in church does not mean that you're following Christ. The Antichrists came out from where? Among the church. Among the people of God. Right? It is very possible for church to just be a hobby, a kind of community group that you sign up for and, and hang out at. And I'm going to be honest, if church is a hobby, it's kind of a lame hobby. There, there are better hobbies out there. I, I just started taking a watercolor class this past week at, at the community center. Super fun. Probably a lot more fun than church, to be honest, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Church is not the best hobby. But man, if we're going to be people who follow Jesus, well, then that's good. That's true. That's faith, right? But it's not just about going to church. It's about this deep-rooted faith. And so that's one of the warnings that that we can take to heart, is that it's not just going through motions of of being at church, of, of doing religious stuff. It's about abiding in Jesus, which he'll get to in a little bit. Another warning, that I think uh, comes out of this is this idea that as the people of God, as a community of people committed to Jesus, we will at times be betrayed. We will at times have people walk out on us. We will at times have people who say, oh yeah, you know, let me see what's going on, and then, oh, I don't really want anything to do with that. And they turn around, they turn their back on us. This very thing happened to Jesus himself, right? Judas was among the twelve, and yet he betrayed and turned his back on Jesus. Even Peter was that vocal one among the, the twelve. You know, Lord, I would never forsake you. I'd never betray you. I would never deny you. And yet when the going got rough, I don't know who that man is, right? See, there will be times when the people of God will experience betrayal, will experience those who turn their back on them. And so the church can be messy, right? I think this is a couple of the warnings that John is bringing to the people. Watch out, because there are those among you who may betray you. There are those who will turn their back and go out from you, right? And so what does he call the people to, right? He, he offers these warnings. There are antichrists out there. There are those who are saying, it's not the, the last hour. Jesus is not reigning. But what does he call us to do? Well, there's really a couple of words that he offers, one of them is, is this word anointing that comes up several times throughout the passage, and another is the word abide, right? And that's that word that's, that's threaded all through this letter of John. So the first one I want to talk about is that word anointing, because there's actually quite a bit of, of word play going on in this passage that we kind of miss in English. Uh, the, the word Christ... Is, is literally the word "anointed one," right? That's what that's what Christ means. Uh, Christos is this word for one who is anointed. That's where we get our word "christening," right? When something is christened, it's anointed. Um, and so Christos is the word Christ. So there is Jesus who is the Christ, right? We we just read that. But then there are these anti-Christs. So Jesus is the anointed one. But then there are these anti-anointed ones. They're against the anointing of Jesus. But then, who are we? Right? Who are the ones that John is writing to? On well, verse 20 and 21, he says, You have been anointed by the Holy One. All of you have knowledge. And he, he goes on to describe that. So the the language here, these are all variations of the same word. The anti-Christ, the Christ, and the ones who have been christened. The Greek word is chrisma, right? These are all variations on the same word. Jesus, the anointed one, the anti-anointed ones, and those who have received the anointing. And so what does it mean to live in that anointing? to live with the anointing that he has given to us. And what even does that mean? Well, again, down in verse 27, he describes a bit more. He says, The anointing that you received from him abides in you. So you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it taught you, abide in him. This language about anointing is language that is often used of the Holy Spirit. The, you know, this is what Jesus quoted from Isaiah. Behold, I, I am, an, the Spirit of God has anointed me to proclaim good news for the captives on and on. Jesus uses some of this same language used to describe the anointing here in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. Remind you of all that I have said to you. That's just what John wrote here. His anointing teaches you about all things, Again, in John 16, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Again, verse 27, this anointing is true and is not a lie. So to be an anointed one is to be one who is filled with the Spirit of God. Someone who lives and walks in the Spirit of God. And how Do we do that? Well, we do that by abiding in God and by God's abiding in us. This is the other word that's used here in verse 24. It says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And that language again in verse 27, the anointing you received from him abides in you. It has taught you, abide in him. What do we do with all this abiding language? We're going to dive deeper into this as we continue throughout John, but but there's at least a couple things that that I want to share about it here. And one of them is, as we seek to be people who abide in God and walk by the Spirit. We have to remember that we are not alone. We are not alone. The the anointing of the Spirit, he, he says, you know, this is powerful stuff, right? This anointing teaches you. It abides in you. But none of those yous are singular. All of those yous are plural, and so it's not the Spirit abides in you individually, it's the Spirit abides in you collectively. And so how do we discern the voice of the Spirit? Well, we do that together. It's not just one person going, hey, God told me such and such. That's a great way to end up not too far off from the Antichrists, right? But, but you say, hey, I feel the spirit is 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 telling me, is leading me in this way. And then you submit that to community. And others listen and discern together. And together we, we say, hey, this is the spirit, right? This is that God stuff that, that Sandra was telling in her story earlier. One of those things that, hey, maybe God is nudging us, pulling us along. It's something that we do together, in community. Uh, another way that we do this. If you look back at verse 24 again, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Right? What you heard from the beginning. You know, this is one of those recurring phrases throughout John, which uh, describes, if if you look down at chapter 3, verse 11, we looked at this last week, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then, again, down in verse 23 of chapter 3, this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. So what is this that we have heard from the beginning? What is this call to love one another just as Christ has loved us? What we have heard, this message that we are to have abide in us, is the message of the gospel, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And so how do we fill out the voice of the Spirit, this anointing that we walk in? Well, we do so by devoting ourselves to that story, by continually returning to the story of God and Scripture. You see, if we're just following those nudges and not constantly coming back to one another, and what God has written, or what, what we have, have, have received in these words, then we end up like someone on the other end of the phone with a sustained misunderstanding. I am hearing part of this conversation, but I'm not really understanding it. We need the Word of God, and we need the fellowship of one another to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. To walk as God's people. This is what it means to abide in him and to have him abide in us. We do it by devoting ourselves to Scripture, by being a people of prayer who constantly turn to God, not only to tell God what we think or what we need, but to listen. God, what are you saying? Where are you leading? And to do all of those things together as a community, to submit these things to one another, to be curious about one another's lives, curious about the word of God and the story of the gospel. This is what it is to live in anointing. This is what it is to abide So that's my prayer for us. That we would be a people who live and walk according to the Holy Spirit. That the little blind spots that we have, little parts of the story that that we don't have, that we would turn to one another and say, hey, help me out. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? That as we come to Scripture, we would let that fill out our own hearts and stories, but also we would turn to one another and say, hey, what do you see here? What, what are you uh, receiving from this message so that we can really hear the whole story and not end up like the Antichrists and not being misled by the Antichrists, those who would betray and deceive? The good news is that just as Peter did deny Jesus, he was restored. To Jesus. And so there will be times when we mess up. There will be times whenever we mishear, misunderstand, misapply. But just as at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Peter to him and says, hey, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. He calls and restores us to him as well. Abide in him. Walk in his anointing. As his anointing teaches you about all things, it has taught you. Abide in him. May it be so. Amen.